there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the gospel according to John in the New Testament, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for all God's creation. Thanks be to God. Now standing bold, its fragile roots have taken hold in the ash of war and hate. Love is breaking through, making all things new. Oh, Christ our Savior, oh, Christ our Lord, His name forever and evermore. There's a peace I've weeks ago, I was uh, talking with a pastor friend who uh, was having, having a particularly rough week, and uh, we were talking on the phone, and she said, you know, last night I did something I've never done before, and I can't believe that I've never done this before. And so I said, what is it? What, what was it that you did before, or did last night that you've never done before? And, uh, and, and she said that she had stayed up half the night uh, going through each of the four gospels, each of the four biographies of Jesus told from different perspectives, and she just only, she only read the words of Jesus, only read Jesus' words. 
And uh, she described how she skipped over the descriptions of events and the genealogies, the words from other uh, characters in the story, and she focused solely on the words of Jesus. And she described how moved she was by this experience, uh, how there seemed to be such tenderness, such wisdom, such compassion, such love. It seemed to unlock something uh, for her, um, a peace, a centeredness, an assurance. She said that it uh, reoriented her that week and reminded her of her identity and her calling. And she just kept saying, I can't believe I've never done that before. So I felt like I wanted to try it. But then um, I was also thinking about that while also praying about our next sermon series, just sort of wondering uh, what it might mean for us as a church to do the same, to spend some time with Jesus paying particular attention to his words paying attention to what he says as has been recorded by the gospel writers, the things that that they have deemed most important, and how that might also unlock something within us, much as it did for my friend. Because when you think about it, the words of Jesus, Jesus who's the central figure of our faith, give us perhaps the clearest possible picture of who he is and what he cares about, what's important to him what he pays attention to. And so that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks uh, in a brand new sermon series that we're launching today called That's What He Said. (laughs) Meeting Jesus again in his own words. It's the last time I let an intern name the sermon series. That's what he said. I envision, uh, I envision this series uh, sort of like when uh, it's been a while since you've seen somebody, and you, then you see them out somewhere, and you're like, hey, we should catch up. And, and even when you have the best intentions of doing so, though often we don't, right? Can we be honest about that? Or is that just me? Tell me that's not just, we should get together. Yeah, totally. No, even when you have the best of intentions to do that, uh, even when you're not just saying it, uh, things do happen. Balls get dropped, life, etc. Except this time, we're going to put in the effort together as a community. Uh, that's what the series is about, uh, making the effort to spend time with Jesus, uh, to catch up, so that we might then reconnect and let go of some old assumptions, learn a few things, ultimately come to a more robust and hopefully healthier understanding of who Jesus is for us here and now. And so to get there, we're using his own words. That's our hope for the next four weeks. And this week, we're kicking off the series with these words of Jesus, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. First, I don't think I've said my name yet. Um, my name's Brent. I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at the local church, and uh, it's such a gift, um, as I mentioned, to be with you. Special thanks to Allie again this morning for joining us this week. Um, uh, while Leah is in South Africa, she'll be back uh, about mid-August, and we're looking forward to having her back, but it's been so lovely as well to get to um, have our blast from the past uh, this morning with Allie, so thank you. Um, and, uh, and we hope for three things each and every time you connect with us in any way at the local church. We want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are, anchored in the good news that we share together each week, and empowered then to take that good news into the world, to love where you are. Affirmed, anchored, and empowered all by God's grace. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church, and we give God thanks for your presence. We're more whole with you. And if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I will be by the door uh, on your way out, or there are plenty of other doors if you would like to not 
meet me. So, um, but that's where I will be. Uh, and just know that your uh, this community is transformed uh, by your presence, and we thank God for you. Um, as we begin, let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, you do indeed call us friends. In the wide scope of scripture, again and again and again, you draw near. You have drawn near again to us today, O oh God, and so we pray that we would see you and hear you in, in new ways, that you would unlock something in us, crack open within us what it means to be your friend. Be friends of your friends as well. Pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, our savior, our brother, our teacher, our friend. Amen. All right, so hear these words again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I think there's one more. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. I have called you friends, Jesus says. These words are part of Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. He's pre preparing his disciples, his closest friends and followers, for his impending death and resurrection. The fact that things in the future won't be like they are now for too much longer. And so when he's gone, uh, when he's gone, these are the things he really wants them to know. These are the things in this farewell discourse that he is saying, you, you got to hold on to. You got you to put your faith in. And as I sat with these words this week, I had a few thoughts. First, first, I thought about what words I would use to describe Jesus. If someone said, Brent, who is Jesus to you? I asked myself how I might respond to that question. What words sort of come to mind uh, first? And, and, and the words Savior and Teacher come easily. Lord is right there as well. The way, the truth, and the life as well, though, though uh, some of those need some unpacking and some clarifying, which come back next week for that. But interestingly, the word friend didn't really make my top five. Uh, and yet... I just, I had this realization that if we're going to get to all the others, Lord, way, truth, teacher, savior, if we're going to get to all of those, we first need to spend some time with friend. We first need to start here with friend. This has to be our starting point because nothing else makes sense to me anyway, otherwise. But friend didn't come easily for me. And so I started to ponder, well, why is that? And have any of you heard of the friendship desert is that a phrase that, is, that you use? Um, it's the term for, if you haven't, if you don't know the word, you've probably experienced this or know somebody who has. It's the term for the season uh, in post-college life, uh, in early adulthood, when your tried and true methods and arenas for making friends just sort of dry up, right? Um, you might be in a new place, you're not in school, maybe you've moved out on your own, no longer living in dorms, you might have a new job. 
And you're not then in these new spaces forced into any particular places where social interactions come easily, where they can be forged easily. And, and so it's tough to make new friends. It's the, the friendship desert. And that's not just for youngish adults. Uh, it's getting harder for everyone. Uh, and, and we know this to be true too, like living in our post-COVID world, post-ish COVID world, right? Um, that's made it even more challenging given the rise of remote work. You used to be able to count on you know, your, your work friends when you went to the office every day um, seeing your coworkers, but now it's not five days a week, maybe it's two, if even that, right? Even before COVID, uh, nearly half of Americans said that they felt lonely or unknown at some point in their lives. And it hasn't gotten better. A recent Forbes health survey found that 59% of U.S. adults reported that it's harder to form close relationships since COVID. Then you throw in the, the hyper-partisanship uh, that we experience, the, the walls that just kind of get entrenched, uh, your fear of saying the wrong thing or the malaise that sets in with the thought of like going out, trying to do something at night, you know, it's a lot. That's why I love uh, that meme that you may have seen about how the real miracle of Jesus is that he had 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> right? But for real, I wonder if we sometimes have a hard time, at least for me, imagining Jesus as friend because we have such a difficult time forming close friendships ourselves. It's much easier to think of Jesus as a distant figure, an authoritarian figure, watching over us from afar, a savior from whom we have something to gain, a benefit, right? A teacher who will lead us, challenge us, admonish us. But a friend, a friend, it's much harder to wrap our minds around, at least me, at least me. And yet in these words from John's gospel, that's what Jesus is saying. I no longer call you servants but I have called you friends. So what does this mean? What does this look like to be friends with Jesus? What's happening? What do we need to relearn, perhaps? And I normally don't do like a three-point sermon, but I thought, hey, let's try it today. And so I think based on these words from Jesus and thinking about the story of Jesus that we know from the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, there are at least three, probably more, but at least three aspects of friendship that Jesus demonstrates, that I think uh, if we think about Jesus as a friend in this way, it could impact and, and invite us to rethink the friendships in our own lives and what it might mean to draw close to another. And so this is what we learn about Jesus's way of befriending that then informs our own work of befriending. There may be more, but these are the three big ones. Maybe you can think of a close friend in your life uh, and your own, uh, uh, and how these have functioned, and then overlay that, overlay that on Jesus to imagine how much greater friendship with Jesus could be. But here they are. First, friendship is mutual; takes two to tango. Second, requires sacrifice. Third, finally, it's an end in and of itself. So let's look at each of these briefly. First, mutuality. In every friendship, at some point, whether explicit or not, there is an invitation that necessitates a response. I have gone up to people and said, can I be your friend? 
I want to be your friend. Maybe some of you, you've experienced that from me. Hey, let's be friends. Wes and Warren, I think that's how we met, right? Was at church. And I was like, I want to be your friend. And then we had lunch the next week. Thankfully, you said yes. The response uh, was there. And, and so as I mentioned, Jesus is sharing a table here with his disciples whose lives are about to be upended. Proximity to Jesus carries with it uh, a risk. And uh, when he's gone, they could be thrown out of the synagogue, which means their social connections are cut off. Their friends and family might abandon them. Uh, It could get tough. And these words from Jesus are a way of saying, hey, if it all hits the fan, I'll still be here. You may not see me like you do now. I'll be there. You can count on it. So, So there's this level of intimacy, this level of vulnerability inherent in these words. And in true friendship, there always is. But at its core as well, in these words, there is an invitation. It's a hand extended and open. And this is what he's getting at when he says, I don't know if I put this in there. Yeah, okay, good. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, We might hear this as conditional, as like an or else, you know? Um, But it's not that. It's not that. What this is instead is, uh, is more like Jesus reaching out and saying, here's what reaching back to this invitation might look like. You living the way that I have commanded My hand is extended towards you in love, essentially, Jesus is saying, as a source of strength, as a trusted companion, as one you can count on, and metaphorically speaking, to reach back out toward me, taking my hand in yours, is demonstrated by how you live. That's the response. And this could look like any number of things for us, this, this uh, reciprocity, this mutuality, this, this response to the invitation of Jesus. It could look like time spent in prayer or scripture, or journaling, nurturing that intimate nature of relationship with Jesus, drawing on his closeness. It could, like taking a, it could look like taking a walk without your headphones and, uh, so that you're not consuming, but just sort of being attentive, like the Mary Oliver poem that Tally read this morning. I do not know what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention could look like that, listening for the still, small voice of God whispering in creation. It might be taking someone to coffee and hearing their story, cultivating a friendship of your own, bringing hygiene items for Operation Fresh Start. could be serving here on Sunday mornings, joining our guided book discussion in a couple weeks, getting connected with a small group this fall. It's any number of things, any number of things. But the key point here is that friendship is never a one-sided affair. If it feels like that, it's not friendship. And again and again and again in Scripture, we see Jesus making the first move, extending an invitation, opening himself up with intimacy and vulnerability. We see it when he takes on flesh and move into the neighborhood, as John 1 is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. We see it in the call of the disciples to come and see, right, that invitation. We see it in his coming near to Zacchaeus and saying, you come down, I'm coming over to your house, right, inviting himself over. We see it in how he's scolded for eating with tax collectors and sinners, sharing a meal with them. It's the sort of invitation to intimacy that we experience each time we celebrate Holy Communion, week after week. As Christ's honored guests, at its core, Holy Communion is a meal of friendship, and we're invited to respond, invited to respond. And so so that's the first key to friendship with Jesus, an invitation and vulnerability that seeks a response. Friendship is mutual. The second key to friendship, closely related to the first, is that friendship requires sacrifice. Actually clarifies the nature of what that response can and should look like. Jesus says, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I wonder like, how you have heard that before. 
how you've thought about that. Maybe, maybe the words of St. Bruno Mars come to mind, right? I'll catch a grenade for you, right? Um, does this mean that the essence of true friendship... Right, don't, okay, don't do that again. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> does this mean that the essence of friendship is someone who would catch a grenade for you, right? Uh, because that's a big ask. How many of you would be like, yeah, totally, I'm, sign me up, I'm in. Uh, is that what Jesus is getting at here? And, and, and uh, I know that we often hear this, at least me, and, and think that real friendship requires a willingness to sacrifice oneself to the death, right? Or we go straight to Jesus' crucifixion. And, and maybe, maybe sometimes, right? And to be sure, the orientation of Jesus' life is one of servanthood, a pouring out of self in care and concern and love for others. It's not just his death on the cross, though, that is a laying down of life. But it's responding to interruptions as he travels from place to place, stopping to attend to whatever need is right in front of him. Or it looks like the risk of calling out powers and principalities that happens when he bursts onto the scene in, uh, in, in uh, his hometown um, in Luke 4 where he, uh, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, release the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And he tells them all this news, and then they want to throw him off the cliff, right? Turning over tables in the temple, perhaps, where gross injustices were taking place, where the poor are being taken advantage of. It's the risk of friendship spurned when you put yourself out there, as was the case with, Jesus, with Judas, whom Jesus had loved only to be betrayed. And that's true for us in friendship as well. To, to lay down one's life for one's friends can look like any number of things. Sacrifice is a spectrum. And in the context of healthy relationship, of healthy friendship, sacrifices are made all the time. Sometimes in small, uh, subtle ways, and other times in ways that feel much bigger. It's often, whatever it is, a giving up of our own something. Whether it's wants or desires in service to another, in love, or laying down a life of isolation, a willingness to think differently when a friend loving you, lovingly calls you out or holds you accountable and says, hey, I know you, you're better than this, right? I love how author Shauna Nequist puts this sort of sacrifice in her book, Cold Tangerines. She says, true friendship is a sacred, important thing, and it happens when we drop down into that deeper level of who we are. When we cross over into the broken, fragile parts of ourselves, we have to give up something in order to get friendship like that. She continues, we have to give up our need to be perceived as perfect. We have to give up our ability to control what people think of us. We have to overcome the fear that when they see the depths of who we are, they'll leave. But what we give up is nothing in comparison to what this kind of friendship gives to us. Friendship is about risk. Love is about risk. If we can control it and manage it and manufacture it, then it's something else. But if it's really love, really friendship, it's a little scary around the edges. And it's so good. So that's number two, a sacrifice of self in service to another. Finally, and this one uh, may be the most important, but the most difficult for us to grasp, the friendship of Jesus is not a means to an end. There's no ulterior motive. It's an end in and of itself. In other words, Jesus' invitation of friendship and the sacrifices made, they're not to call out some sort of moral response in us, elicit us to do better. It's not to give us a sense of indebtedness or shame us into love. 
That's how it's spun sometimes, I think. Jesus did this for you, and so you ought to then do this for him. But if there's shame or obligation at play, if friendship is simply a means to an end, trying to get us to do something else or control or manipulate, we have to question again whether that's real friendship. Instead, Jesus desires friendship with us because that's just who Jesus is. That's who God is at the very heart of God, is relationship. And God loves us. God delights in us for our own sake. I think this could be why Jesus spends so much time around tables, just like the one he's sharing with his disciples as he offers these words of friendship today. Because there's delight there. There's enjoyment there. You're able to pour yourself out. That's why we move from servant to friend in this passage because he said, like, I've, I've laid it all out there. Everything I have, I've given to you. It's just friendship. It's delight. It's enjoyment. And what if Jesus wants to be our friend because we're worth having as friends? What if? At its best, friendship means you're seen, you're known, you're loved, warts and all, encountered at your best days and at your worst. And this love that's given is sticky. You can't get rid of it. It doesn't change. It's not fickle. It isn't contingent on anything else. Instead, a friend sees you, all of you, and loves you, puts up with all of your mess, and loves you just the same. It doesn't mean a friend can't disagree with you. It doesn't mean that a friend can't try to call something out of you, try to nudge you in a different direction. At least for me, I've experienced Jesus do that again and again and again, whether I listen or not. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the friend says, I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me that easily. And what that love offers then, and this is the important part, what that love offers is a feeling of security and freedom, a groundedness in that that allows the other to live fully, to be authentic, to bring their whole selves into the relationship. And that's empowering and that's liberating. And this is the sort of friendship that Jesus offers. Jesus wants to be our friend because we're worth having as a friend. And he loves us, period. It's that simple. And if our lives change as a result, if, if, if our lives are transformed as a result, if it makes us better as human beings, that's a bonus. But that's not, that's not the point. That's secondary to the enjoyment, the delight in who you are. Jesus, who just wants to be friends because you're worth having as a friend. So, my friends, can I call you that? I hope that you come to know Jesus as friend that we come to know Jesus as friend. I heard someone say once that, that the next time you're in prayer, you should imagine that your very best friend is before you. Someone who's no less loving or gracious or endearing or wise than your very best friends on earth. If you treat Jesus like your very best friend, you might eventually come to know that that's true. Because before we can know Jesus as the way, before we can know him as Lord, before we can have him as teacher, savior, we have to know him as friend. There has to be a relationship, the starting point, friendship. So I pray that you'll know how desirable you are as a friend, how worthy you are of friendship, even with the scars that you bear, the mess that you might have made, the fragility that's found, the walls that you may have built, the skepticism you might harbor. I get it. <laughs> and I pray that when we find ourselves a friend of Jesus, we will be moved then, despite the odds, to offer that same friendship to all of his other friends. May it be so. Amen. 
If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.